Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. So many great conversations over the years about so many great movies. And some stinkers. Well, true. But you know, producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. In season three, we covered even more great adaptations like The Night of the Hunter and It Happened One Night, both part of our Couples on the Run series. We talked about No Country for Old Men. The Coen brothers so rarely adapt someone else's work. We had some fun rom-com adaptations like About a Boy, based on the Nick Hornby novel, and Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, adapted from Rachel Cohn and David Levithan's book. In our terribly and naively named foreign language series, we discussed the brilliant City of God and the Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which I won't ever be able to watch again, ever. But could you read the original memoir? I don't know, maybe? We had our Richard Dysart series with adaptations like The Day of the Locust and Being There. Plus, we had that fantastic interview with the man himself. <laughs> the one where we had him sit on the floor? Because this chair was so squeaky. <laughs> Good times. We did our first Tom Hanks series with Forrest Gump adapted from Winston Groom's novel, plus Apollo 13 based on Lost Moon by Jim Lovell. And we did another year series looking at films from 1981, including Das Boot, Gallipoli, and Thief, all based on books. Listeners can dive deeper into all of these original stories and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, movie, video game. Video game. <laughs> you bet. We have talked about some video game adaptations as well. It doesn't matter the source, just follow the link. Every purchase supports the podcast. Check out the full list at thenextreel.com slash originals and get reading, watching, performing, or playing today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Do you want to talk about what you did this weekend? Something you really love? I had a wonderful experience this weekend. Tell, at, me, about uh, Tell me about it. it was Please. The, the Don't Phoenix... Spare no details. <laughs> the Phoenix Symphony performed uh, music by John Williams, uh, some of his fantastic film scores, conducted by John Williams. So he's actually <laughs> there conducting. And it was a pretty trippy experience listening to some of his greatest tunes realizing that this is the man all those the the head of which all of those tunes came out of and here he was conducting the music now and it was pretty amazing hearing it and just uh you know getting that experience of actually watching John Williams conduct you know some of his great classic film scores and then halfway through <laughs> Steven Spielberg comes and joins him oh man <laughs> to talk about you know, the great uh, power of the film score and what it's really done uh, to, you know, teach him to be a better filmmaker and how he and John Williams have collaborated and made such amazing uh, music in so many of his films. And then they proceeded to uh, play a whole bunch of the scores. Well, he, Williams and the <laughs> symphony. Steven Spielberg. So Spielberg sat in a chair at the front and tapped his knee <laughs> while he listened. <laughs> and he, but they would play it like with video clips that were, that were um, uh, playing overhead. And Williams had his little monitor in front of him and he would, you know, conduct the orchestra to time it with what we were watching. And it was, it was really cool. Did, so uh, I had an image as I was, you know, watching you, you dress up nice. You post a <laughs> lot of pictures, you and your, your spouse, you dress up like a shiny new nickel. <laughs> I'm telling you, Freshly you put on, buffalo. you did, you put on the nice duds to go see Johnny. It was like yeah. you thought you were going to meet him. Did you hang out with him at all? Uh, you know, I would love to say yes, but <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> the uh, the thing that I've been imagining all weekend was that John Williams would get real mad and like throw a fit and throw his gold tipped baton at like a <laughs> trombonist or something. <laughs> just get mad because you know how do you you just travel around conducting other people doing your music. I you know. just can't, like, it'd be so easy to go completely prima donna. It would be. Oh, would. what a dream. He is 81. 81. Still they're doing this. It's pretty amazing. Oh. Pretty amazing. <laughs> like, so. he has nothing better to do. <laughs> <laughs> I kid. That's a joke because it's fueled by jealousy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's where that that's where that comes from. <laughs> at, least, at least you can acknowledge it. That's the first step. It's important to be present. Yes. <laughs> I'm living in the now, and my now says, Andy, why didn't you get me down there? Uh, I could have sat right between you and your lovely bride. We could have had popcorn. 
He's on in there, Pete. <laughs> Lap time with Andy. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. Now, what, what was it you said last week about all of a sudden the conversation just goes weird? <laughs> it's uh, just yeah. how fast. Yeah, Sometimes it's, it's a surprise. And there it was. It just goes to the weird place. <laughs> so weird. This is the next reel. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to the show. We spoil movies heavily. Uh, movies are usually really old movies. In this case, tonight, super old. Uh, and uh, so we're, we're going to spoil it heavily. If you haven't seen it, back away from your internet machine. Go watch the film and, uh, and then come back and join us. We would love to have you uh, jump in the conversation, facebook.com slash thenextreel. Uh, you can find our website at thenextreel.com where you can uh, catch up with all of our past episodes check out the blog the fantastic and uh, uh the lovely and uh, phenomenally talented steve sarmento uh is uh, uh writes on the blog and uh let's see where else oh you got to catch us out of flickchart.com slash the next reel and letterboxd i think it's just letterboxd.com slash the next reel is that right that we should right. we should write that down somewhere and we should. Uh, so all of those links are on the website, and we encourage you to go there and subscribe to the show, particularly in iTunes, where you can leave us many starred reviews. It's so helpful for other people to discover the show, so we appreciate you. Absolutely. Those of you who have taken the time to do that. Uh, that's really nice. It's super and, duper nice. And we have begun our Guess the Movie Challenge over on Instagram. We have an Instagram account. It's uh, Instagram. Uh, you just sign it, join on your... <laughs> phone i guess i don't know you, you don't e- you do don't even that. know the thing that you're doing well it's instagram.com slash the next reel if you're looking at it on the website but i guess most people just join instagram on their phones right right, Any, right. and we, we had are, a did we have a winner for this we did have a winner what we're doing every week is we're i we're posting images from maybe the movie that we're going to be discussing or maybe uh, a, a movie in relation to the movie we're going to be discussing or maybe a movie completely not related. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but we're going to be posting images over the course of the week. Some of them will be uh, more difficult um, <laughs> and that it'll get hopefully easier for people as the week wears on closer to the uh, the time we're going to be rele- releasing our show. So you're, uh, it's a progressive thing. It's it progressive. Is progressive. It starts really obscure and people are like, I have no idea what you're and what these images are from and hopefully it gets to the point where it's, it's just blatantly obvious and i i hope it doesn't i hope we get some real fans who get it and get it when it's really so. not obvious i hope so but this past week we we had pictures of the blob running all week and kane black uh, figured it out and uh and so congratulations to kane fantastic so great uh, the, I a, love it. And when you go to the, I actually like the website, Instagram.com slash the next real, because you see all yeah. of them and I like the little header. It's, I think it's even better than the phone. Uh, cool. yeah, it's, it's super cool. And, and, I like um, the little, you know, the little slideshow, it kind of yeah, tells across it's all the images. super gross, <laughs> super gross this week. Well, yeah, um, you don't have a blobby picture. <laughs> they're so blobby and kind of pustulant. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is so good. Um, so definitely head over to the next reel and join uh, this conversation uh, about pictures. See if you can guess what yep. Andy is yep. doing. He's man, he's a tough school marm when it comes to these. <laughs> he picks hard ones. 
I have to make it hard at the beginning. Otherwise, people are going to get it right away. I know. You don't want to. No, you don't want to take it easy on. Where's the fun? People. You don't ever want to take it easy on the people. That's right. Uh, so that's a, that's all the good stuff we're doing. And uh, I think now may be the time that we talk about the trailers. I will go first. All right. My trailer this week is, uh, you know, it's a little different for me. I am actually quite drawn to this trailer. It's uh, the new film called The Broken Circle Breakdown. I think it's kind of a, a foreign film. It's, it looks like it's in, uh, in English and, what is it, Flemish? Flemish, Flemish. Yeah, and uh, the, uh, it's, it, but it's uh, like a bluegrass band, so I'm not quite sure. And, and they're singing perfect English, so I don't know. I mean, perfect kind of that, you know, southern hillbilly sort of English. <laughs> but it sounds, it sounds great. It's very convincing. The, um, the trailer, just the music in the trailer, I love this type of music. It just really uh, grabs me. And the trailer, the music that plays all through it just really draws me in. I love the look of the film. I love the look of these characters in the film. From the trailer, it looks just kind of like, you know, this love story going on in, in this band. Um, but then when you read the description, it actually looks a lot, uh, it looks like there's a lot more stuff going on. The you know, IMDb description says, Elise and Didier fall in love at first sight in spite of their differences. He talks, she listens. He's a romantic atheist. She's a religious realist. When their daughter becomes seriously ill, their love is put on trial. So it looks like uh, kind of this really interesting character musical drama, and I am quite excited about the way it looks, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. I think it looks great. I and I had no idea when you first sent me the trailer that it was not a, a, a you know Southern Americana kind of bluegrass film. It just you know it is so, it, and and part of that is because you never really hear them speaking in the trailer. Yeah. It's it's all singing, and and the music is really just so wonderfully expressive that um that it, it really tells the whole story that you need i think to get out of the out of the trailer but it, it's uh it's very convincing and uh I, I like you said that music just touches such a special place, <laughs> special place. and it gets weird again <laughs> uh, sometimes you just you feel uh, like you cross the line then you need to find it again just That's to make right. sure you always know where it is. Just, no, where is that where line? Is oh, the line? Oh, there it, oh, is. There it was. It got it weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my trailer so, is... Oh, uh, hold on, oh hold no, on. you're going to do more. You're going to do more talk. I was just going to say, it opens yeah. November 1st. Oh, excellent. Yes. Well, you should go see it then. I'm going to see Absolutely. it then. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, my trailer is a... Uh, wow. Grim. Uh, All is Lost from writer-director J.C. Chandor, starring Robert Redford and only Robert Redford. Unless you count the boat, it is Robert <laughs> Redford alone on a boat. Does he talk to a beach ball? I, As far as I know, he doesn't talk to... I don't think Robert... I think Robert... <laughs> okay, you're going to hate <laughs> me for this. Robert Redford is so beyond beach balls, basketballs. Wow. Like, he's beyond talking to those things. I really... I mean, come on. <laughs> He, yeah, no, yeah. Right? I mean, you, even you, the biggest Tom Hanks fan in the world, you have to know that Robert Redford is, is way too centered to ever speak to a ball. He is. He really is. <laughs> and and he's, he's older, and I think he's kind he of is. past that. He's moved past, past, that, past that. He is totally <laughs> past that. Uh, this is, it, it looks just, I mean, it captures uh, so many of my deepest terrors. The hey, being alone, be on a boat, see water. Uh, drowning storms, um, 
gosh. I don't, I don't care if you never see a shark in this film. No, they're there. All I think about is sharks. Is sharks. They're there. <laughs> uh, is sticky things, pastes, and uh, tarpaulins. Um, uh, things that swing. Uh, heights. Oh, good Lord, heights. I'm, uh, yeah, so there's, there are many things captured in this film in dazzling uh, uh, technicolor um, that uh, that really make it a, a scary lost-at-sea film. And so uh, this is, uh, you know, it, we talked a little bit about the full, <laughs> when you go to IMDb and look at the full cast and crew, uh, you know, Robert Redford is the only member of the cast, and his name is Our Man. So, you know, somebody is going on a metaphorical journey in this film. It may be J.C. Chandor, maybe Robert Redford, somebody... Uh, is going on a journey, making a story about a man on a journey. Lost well, J.C. Chandor is making All is Lost, and his nest, next film is A Most Violent Year, so <laughs> definitely yeah. somebody yeah, he's, he's, is working through some issues. Somebody's got some issues. <laughs> Uh, this looks like a great film. Of course, J.C. Chandor is, uh, we've, we had, uh, uh, he's a writer-director of Margin Call. If you saw Margin Call, that was a, uh, what do you think of Margin Call? Did you see that one? Yeah, I quite liked it. I mean, it's, it's a pretty interesting look at the, you know, the collapse of our economy back in 2008 and kind of the, the masterminds behind it. It's, uh, I mean, fictionalized, I guess, I guess. <laughs> yeah, as far <laughs> as we know. As we know, but I mean, it's just, it was a really interesting film. I, I liked the way that uh, uh, he told the story. I liked the, the, uh, the actors. I thought they all had some pretty interesting roles. And uh, yeah, it was, it's, uh, it was definitely one to watch and get angry about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Film, the subject, you know. It, it may, it, it's one of those films that may have been, it fallen into a little bit of the uh, sort of, uh, gosh, too soon theory of filmmaking, you know? I mean, I, I don't know. It, it seemed like it came and went, and I quite enjoyed it, too. Um, I, you know, I the cast is really stunning, the people they got together to, in this film, and yet it's one that nobody really quite talks about, um, I yeah, think, But it enough. did get an Oscar nomination out of it. So. Yeah, but it's just, just sort of gone, you know? It just yeah. feels like it, it sort of disappeared, and I think that's too bad. It looks, it, it's a terrific film. Uh, anyway, so that's J.C. Chandor, That's All Is Lost, and uh, it I looks... Uh, to be seriously worth seeing. Uh, it comes out, I'm going to say it, 18 October 2013. October would 18th. Be right. yeah. Would be right. yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's uh, There's something about the nature of this type of film that's uh, that draws me in. And just the fact that it's just this slice of him while he's out there with no other people in sight, I just, <laughs> it's really exciting. Outstanding. Good trailers, man. Yeah. Uh, now, let's talk. Blob. Dave! Doc Hallen's been killed. Doc Hallen? What happened? It's over at his place. You gotta come now. Now, wait a minute, Steve. Tell us what happened. Well, I'm trying to tell you. Now, this thing had killed the doc. But what was it? Stop with it, kid. It's kind of like a mass. It keeps getting bigger and bigger. It... Every one of you watching this screen, look out. Because soon, very soon, the most horrifying monster menace ever conceived will be oozing into this theater. Two teenagers see it first, like a falling star from outer space. An old man finds it, touches it, and this is the shocking result. 
then on, there's no stopping the blob as it spreads from town to town. It's indestructible. It's indescribable. Nothing can stop it. Mob hysteria sweeps one city. Before long, the nation and then the world could fall before the blood-curdling threat of the blob. Starring Steve McQueen and a cast of exciting young people. Okay, so The Blob, 1958, uh, a film from directors Irvin Yeaworth, Russell Doughton Jr., writers Theodore Simonson, K. Lineker, uh, apparently wrote the screenplay, uh, stars the star of the future, Steve McQueen, 28-year-old Steve McQueen, playing a an elder teen, uh, yeah. with Anita Corso, Earl Rowe, uh, lots of lots and lots of wonderful people will kind of work our way through the cast. Uh, what is your initial sense of The Blob 1958? Now, you, neither of us had seen this version of The Blob before going into this week. Yeah, so. I had never seen it. I mean, I'd, I'd seen some images from it. I might have seen some clips in some you know movie montages or something, but I had never seen the film before. And so it was kind of a fun film to watch. I, I do have a little... Uh, you know, side of me that really enjoys these really cheesy fifties sci-fi horrors, and they're they're fun to watch, and they're not always that good. But there's just something about the the strange um, ways that people were trying to go about creating these scares back then that I I really do enjoy. And you know, this one, the uh, the producer um, uh, Jack Harris. He, when he came up with the idea that he wanted to do this film, I mean, he really latched on to a couple things that were very popular in the 50s. One was these sci-fi horror movies that were so big. But two was these teen delinquency movies and just all these story films about teens that were coming out in the 50s. And I think the way that he kind of blended those two uh, genres together in this made it stand out a little bit more. I mean, it still feels dated, but I, I have fun watching it. I, you know, I, I had to, I had to watch it a few times <laughs> <laughs> and I had to talk a lot about it. Uh, and, uh, I think I've, I think I've come around, uh, to it and I, I didn't, I didn't like it at first. It felt just really dated. Unlike some of the other films that we've talked about from this era, it, it just felt just so dated to me that these, you know, watching these these kids parade around, it was like a caricature of itself, and 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 so much of that is is based on my cultural context. Having never seen the film, I had no prior appreciation of it historically, and and kind of where it where it sat. So, it it, it took some diving in. It, I, I think there are so many things that are really interesting about it, though, um, that I I look forward to talking about, but. The the thing that I think really we we have to start with is the blob itself and and what the blob uh, kind of represents as a movie monster. Yeah, because that's one that I I think is uh, is is interesting. Obviously, is at the root of the terror. You don't actually see the blob all that much in terms of raw screen time. There's a lot of running from it. Um, and, and, you know, what you do see is a lot of miniature and a lot of, you know, I, I hope you're going to talk a little bit about how they do the blob, uh, mm-hmm. but what's your impression of the blob itself as a movie monster and what it, uh, and, and how it terrorizes this town? You know, it's, it, like I said, it, it came out in this period when they were making all sorts of these great, um, monster movies and trying to come up with more creative new monsters uh you know people i don't think were as interested in seeing just another 
movie with you know the same old creature that we've seen before you know they didn't want to see another vampire movie with a twist they didn't want to see another werewolf movie with a twist they were getting made but i think the ones that were more popular were like creature from the black lagoon um the fly came out in the 50s you know and and a lot of them were looking at taking these sci-fi elements and mixing them into the story to create new beings and the thing about the blob is it's not i mean it's, as far as we can tell it's not sentient i mean it does make its decisions to just feast on human flesh but it's not something that can be reasoned with it's it's not something that can uh can even really be connected to in any uh, you know um way where you know what's the, what is the word like where in a disney movie where they um humanize all the animals you know mhm mhm that norm in order for us to have a human connection with that creature uh i can't remember what that term is but anyway they Anth- like anthropomorphizing anthrop- anthropomorphizing yes thank yeah. you um they this is not a creature that is anthropomorphized at all there's no eyes there's no mouth there's nothing about it that you can really connect to it's just this amorphous mass that kind of rolls around and squishes itself through vents and under doors and all across the wall and down the hall. You know, <laughs> you don't do it. No, God. <laughs> oh, I had to. And and so it's it's it in a way it ends up kind of becoming a little creepier. And as far as we know, there's really um, only one way that they find to stop it. And even then, at the end of the film, which I think is kind of fun, is it's you know does it stop it? How long will it actually stop it? When they actually freeze the monster and right. and dump it in a box at the North Pole or the South Pole, one of them. Uh, It just dumps it, and uh, we have this crate, the last image uh, of this crate sitting out there in the vast plains of white as the the end appears and then turns into a question mark. It's 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 very fun and it, uh, but it does kind of raise those questions and I think in that sense they created a very interesting creature that works well in in the kind of the horror genre. I you know, I think so too and I didn't used to uh 3 or 4 days ago. Uh, <laughs> you know how what times change. It, it is fascinating how quickly if only we did things. taxi driver three or four days later no that hasn't that hasn't changed my friend do not uh, i wouldn't hang your hopes on that one uh the, but but what i think is so interesting about this when you look at that when you go back and look at just sort of great movie monsters leading up to the blob in 58 right uh coming out of the 40s and 50s we had you know we we had the uh let's see when was when was ed wood uh making uh doing his the octopus tentacles in the thing that was uh was it was probably right around the same i I was gonna say it's right around the same time but the early 50s i we need to find out when ed was because i I, you you look at that the the early 50s i think were huge from this we had the the you know the 1953 the beast from Twenty Thousand fathoms sort of a dinosaur kind of creature we had you know uh godzilla king of the monsters the the obviously the american adaptation from 1954 of, of gojira 
and, you know, by all rights, it's the Japanese that really hold the corner of the market on nuclear testing gone awry, creating horrible creatures, yeah. uh, you know, and, and culturally resonant, uh, you know, creatures at that uh, in, in Japan in particular. But them, 1954, we have, uh, it came from beneath the sea, 1955. All of these are creatures. They're animals that have some sort of expected behavior to them, uh, yet something has gone horribly awry. They uh, yeah. typically are kind of a signpost against that rampant um, kind of nuclear testing, the metaphor for, for you know, don't, don't do science, you don't understand uh, kind of uh, theory, but they all are, are kind of insects, you know, tarantula, 1955, giant tarantulas, Rodan, uh, another Japanese film, the deadly mantis, the giant Gila monster. I mean, these are all things we know. And yet here comes the blob, which is something that is that takes all of these giant monsters and makes it the most simple there's no styrofoam. There's, uh, you know, styrofoam. There's no antennae. There's no, I mean, it's a creature from outer space, which we do not understand. And it takes mm-hmm. all of our creative assumptions heretofore expressed and and completely nullifies them and says, not only are you not going to be able to understand this thing, uh, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to make any assumptions about its physics. And it is completely uncommunicative you will not be able to ever reason with it there is no there's nothing you can do right and i think that's what makes it uh, that's what ultimately makes it kind of the the horrifying example Uh, you know there was another film and i i have not seen it it's called uh the tingler do you ever see the tingler I have not. Uh, so the Tingler w- came out the next year, 1959, and it was a, a Vincent Price thing, right? And so um, uh, Vincent Price directed uh, by William Castle. And I think that, again, I haven't seen it. I didn't go to the theaters. But this was another one that was just, it, it was kind of the insect that would come up your spine uh, and take control of you as sort of a, a body snatchers type thing is my understanding of it. Um, uh, but it was a, you know, pathologist gone doing experiments. And I, this one, my, I remember so clearly my mom and dad telling me that they went on a date to see the tingler. And it was horrifying because something about the theater seats were wired and whenever the tingler would crawl up somebody's back, you'd get a little jolt in like every other seat. Like you never knew if you were going to be in a seat that was electrified. Wow. It was really horrifying. Uh, do Those you, are the days. Yeah, and and so <laughs> and the tagline through all the chairs. <laughs> well, yeah, and the tagline it was you know they said it was like in Screamerama, right? But the tagline was, uh, "Do you have the guts to sit in the chair?" Right. Like it's a they they made it such a big deal about how it was a quote shock thriller, um, and uh, you know it was another one that was uh, you know that that was sort of this thing we can't understand or reason with, and it's going to be testing our ability to to cope in a in in a way that changes our world, not just by destroying it, but changing the way we have to interact with it. Uh, and I I think as a result, the blob ends up taking on again more resonance um, as a represent a representation of. Stuff we don't understand. Culturally, we are changing, and we don't get what comes next, and we don't like it. Uh, and so, I think it's. I think it ends up being uh, fascinating. Is that too much? Am I reading too much into it? No, no. I think I think you're right. I mean, it's you know, it. I mean, it is kind of a lowbrow drive-in. You know, the, one of these midnight movies, sci-fi things. But 
there is more, there's always going to be some more that you can kind of pull out of these things. And I think there is something really fascinating about this amorphous creature that just rolls around or squishes around, absorbing everything that it comes into contact with. And it's, I mean, it, it, you're right. It's just, <laughs> it becomes this really creepy thing. And I think the fact that they, uh, you know, we have the first victim and we have uh, all of the other victims that we kind of see after that, uh, you know, these people who one by one it absorbs. But I think the most terrifying, especially as moviegoers um, at the time when the movie came out, and uh, I mean, it's just it, in a weird reflexive way, it rolls into the movie theater and consumes the projectionist and then because he is absorbed, and this is the 50s when film was on these reels and they had to do the, the changeovers every 20 minutes or so. And because he is being eaten, he can't change over. And so the, the, the reel ends and it hasn't been switched. So the audience starts complaining only to then find out that the blob is actually squeezing out through the vents in the back of the theater over them and starting to basically absorb people in the theater. I mean, it's a really interesting kind of self-reflexive meta way to really put an extra scare in people who are sitting in a movie theater watching this movie as this amorphous creature starts devouring people. It uh, yes, yes on all I mean I think that is the that that's uh, you know that comes toward the end of the film right before the the yeah. blob makes its way to the to the diner at the great climax trapping our right. hero and families. Uh and um it, it is that just sort of meta presence of horror. Uh, that you're in, you you have to imagine yourself in the theater in the dark watching this film about people watching this film as they're being eaten. I wonder how many people turn their heads. Yeah, uh, oh, I would, out of I would instinct love, alone. Yeah, yeah, I would love to have uh, had some like cameras inside the theaters. I wish that they had done this just to see how many people did actually turn, just to make sure there wasn't anything coming out. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Steve McQueen. Uh, he is our hero in the film. He is a uh, he plays a um, uh, I I I don't know rebel teen uh, in yeah, that he know, races cars. You know backwards. Backwards. <laughs> His big yeah. rebellion. Well, it, it's interesting. I mean, he the, speaks you know, politely the... to police officers. <laughs> <laughs> these these teenagers, for the most part, are are. I guess you could say delinquents in that they are just wanting to kind of have fun, but not necessarily doing anything that bad. You know, it, it, it makes it sound like there are some gags that they've pulled on the cops and stuff that, you know, has created some bad blood. But for the most part, I wouldn't call them delinquents. It's not like they're running around robbing places. And he's, you know, he's one of those teens and, He's got a good relationship with one cop, but uh, the rest of the cops, no one seems to trust any kid. Well, and, and one particular cop that plays that quintessential role of I hate all children. Absolutely. Of course, there's always that role. <laughs> right, right. And so, and and, and I, I would just add by, by extension that, you know, I think McQueen's character uh, ends up looking more delinquent only in the, the uh, in contrast to this sense of kind of overbearing authority or unreasonable yeah. authority, which they're trying to put across. So I'm sorry, you right. go ahead. Yeah. No, yeah, they definitely make him look more of the delinquent because he's causing trouble and always, you know, it, may, it, it makes it sound like 
he's staging this elaborate hoax against the cops. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, he fits in that whole realm of this teen delinquent genre that they're kind of tapping into from, like, you know, I mean, Rebel Without a Cause, uh, The Wild One, all of those films in the 50s where they really started kind of exploring more of the uh, the teen dilemma and just everything going on in the world of teens. And even though he was 27, I mean, he kind of captures it. Steve is a little old, I think, to, to <laughs> completely successfully pull He's, he's off like a teenager. banker. I mean, he's like yeah, a, he's, early, like he's practically he, 30. He looks like you put a tie on him and he would sell you a house. Yeah, it, it's a little funny. Both him <laughs> and his lovely partner, uh, Anita Corso, uh, playing Jane, are both in their 20s. And they both look a little old to be playing the teens. But you know what? It's fun to see him in the film. And this is really kind of his first big break into the film business. I mean, he had been in some TV shows. He'd been in some uh, very small uh, bit parts or uncredited roles in some features. But really, I mean, he just needed some cash, and he ran into uh, the filmmakers, and they knew he had been in a few little things, and so they thought they'd uh, cast him. They thought he'd be great in the role. And they brought him out, and they filmed this in uh, around uh, Phoenixville and some other areas in that area of Pennsylvania. And they had him out there. They filmed it for about a month. And this was at a time when he was still being credited and everything he did as Stephen McQueen. This was his last credit as Stephen McQueen. Um, after this, I believe it was, um, I'm going to forget on who, who it was, um, who caught uh, or who talked to uh, Jack Harris, the producer, about McQueen and said, hey, how did he do in that? And uh, they said, oh, he did good. Here, you can uh, check out his, uh, check check the, the rough cut out. And he, they watched the rough cut. And next thing you knew, they end, uh, ended up casting him in, uh, in Wanted, Wanted, Wanted Dead or Alive. Yeah. yeah. So, and from there, it just kind of snowballed into, uh, you know, his career. I mean, it was only shortly after that that he did uh, um, The Magnificent Seven and uh, just all his big films, The Great Escape, everything else. So. Uh, and it's funny because this is one of those, you know, he's kind of in that long, illustrious line of big movie stars who kind of had their breakout role. I, it's not even a breakout role, but a kind of a key role in a really schlocky, low-budget horror film. Uh, he did it. Tom Hanks did it. Uh, was in uh, He Knows You're Alone, Sandra Bullock and uh, um, Matthew McConaughey were in one of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequels. Um, you know, so they, he's kind of in that long line of that. And I don't think he was ever that thrilled about his uh, getting his start in it. But oddly enough, when he died, apparently the only thing hanging up in his room was a mo uh, the movie poster for The Blob. So I guess, you know, he's, he's still ended up kind of connecting to it in the end. A place in his heart. A little blobby place. <laughs> it's not a tumor. Uh, oh, the, uh, you know, he died of cancer. That's not I, funny. I know. That was me being medically uh, amusing. Irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, here's wow. another little thing I didn't notice. You know, I, it was a while ago. I can't remember. It was probably 50-some-odd shows ago. I brought up The Man from the South because mm. uh, I remember I'd, I'd gotten some VHS tape 
And uh, I, I was fast forwarding through it, and I found that I had recorded the 1985 Alfred Hitchcock Presents Man from the South oh, yeah. uh, with John Huston and Melanie Griffith. That was that horrifying thing with the John Huston was cutting off people's fingers and making oh, bets yeah. that he couldn't scared, catch. Scared the Jesus out that of me was horrible. When I was kid. This was something I did not know that that had, the first time Man from the South had had been uh, done was on um, Alfred Hitchcock uh, Presents in 1960, and Steve yeah. McQueen was the young gambler. Wow. Uh, Check that out. That is fascinating. That's that was a that's a really creepy episode. Oh, it was <laughs> it was really bad. I mean, it's horrible. I always win in the end. <laughs> that's so bad. Nineteen seventy nine remade with Roald Dahl as the host because it was it, it was Roald Dahl who actually wrote the story. I didn't oh. know that. Did you know that? I had no idea. Did not know that. What a strange career. God, you <laughs> doll. That guy. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the man from the South. <laughs> Talk about a guy working on his issues. Yeah, huh? no kidding. Right? No kidding. Uh, okay, I'm sorry for that that uh, little distraction. I think, you know, I think Steve McQueen, uh, he's, you know, I, I think one of the reasons he still works as a 28-year-old is because of his... Uh, and particularly in this film, is because of his unmitigated sincerity in the role. As no, goofy it, and ridiculous as as what he has to do on stage may be otherwise, he takes it so seriously. When he wa- runs into the police station and says, it's just it's mass, and I mean, you just absolutely buy uh, what, uh, what he is uh, delivering on screen, that he, you buy that he buys it. Yeah. A hundred percent. And and I think that makes it uh, that that is ultimately what makes this movie uh, more interesting to watch in hindsight, you know, and it was sort of retrospect because, uh, you know, of the the sincerity, the pain of his um, uh, his struggle against authority is almost more painful than, you know, imagining uh, those in the film who are digested by the blob. Uh, You know, you really feel like he's 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 in it. Yeah. Uh, I think he does a great job as Stephen McQueen. Steve, credited as Stephen, Steven. playing Steve. Uh, <laughs> it is, uh, so it is, you know, it's silly and yet, and dated and yet, uh, and so sincere. Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, okay, so at what point do you want to talk about the theme song? Well, I guess we can do it now since well, we brought it up. We could. We could do it now. And I have another question for you. And this is just, you know, I feel like I brought this up back when we did Alien. And, and I feel like it's another important question that we address regarding the blob. Is the blob a bad guy or is he just misunderstood? <laughs> okay. Let's, uh, so you think about that. Let's talk about the. Uh... <laughs> Uh, just like the thing, didn't we discuss? Then we this talked about the thing? thing as well. Yeah, it's, these, I think it's super important. We are. It's very different than Predator, who yes. comes down specifically to hunt us. That's right. This was just a meteor that yeah. comes down, and we have to, you know, maybe before we talk even about the theme song, we should talk about, um, uh, you know, the the fantastic actually discovery of the uh, uh, of the blob and and the fantastic Olin Howland. Yeah, we should. Go ahead. He's, you, do, he's this, great. He's been in, you know, 7,000 uh, films, uh, yeah, starting in the 1800s. He has been around for a long time. I mean, uh, Olin Howland has been in 
according to IMDb, he has 213 credits, and uh, starting back in 1918 with the short Hick Manhattan. And he's just one of those guys who has been in just about everything that came out from 1918 until the time he died, which uh, was, I believe, shortly after The Blob. I think he was uh, doing a few TV shows at the time, but other than that, The Blob was his last film. So, um, But he's great to watch in this role. Um, he's just this really great face. And unfortunately, you know, he plays the iconic first victim, which usually is one of the more, the more uh, horrifying attacks in any horror film because you're kind of getting your sense of what the creature does. And you see this, I mean, it's really interesting how he, he pokes this blob. And this is you know, right from the start. We really get a sense as to how the nature of this creature is. It looks like goo. And he pokes it um, and he gets it onto a stick. And according to the laws of gravity, he, as he holds <laughs> the stick up, it, it drips down the stick toward his hand. Well, when he flips the stick over, instead of the, the ooze starting to f- drip back down the other way, it now defies gravity and it jumps up and it like latches itself onto his hand. And that's, you know, that's the blob. That's how we learn that this creature is not just some inanimate uh, mass that just moves according to the laws of gravity. It actually attacks him and starts devouring him. And it's, it's a slow, the, the worst part about his death, and maybe it's because the blob starts so small, but it just seems so hor- horribly long and agonizing because it covers his hand. And, you know, he freaks out and runs across the road, and that's where Steve and Jane find him, bring him to the dock, the doc examines it. His hand is now just getting bigger as this giant red blobby hand. And then later he comes back and looks at him again. And it's, or he, I don't think he looks at him, but it's just like the whole blanket is just moving as the blob is just basically devouring this poor guy. It goes on forever. And compared to the nurse or the doctor or anyone else who gets devoured by the blob, I mean, those seem relatively fast compared to what this guy has to endure. So. <laughs> it's a rough death. Right. Yeah, you know, at this at this point the blob is so small. Yeah. You know, it's 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 uh it's uh I don't know, it's it maybe a weirdly heavy term to say that this death is much more intimate, you know, as you <laughs> you watch him being kind of subsumed so slowly by the blob until he's just, you know, the doc comes back in and he's gone. Uh yeah. you know, and the nurse and they go through there. They're, they're we battle with the blob um so that that is the discovery of the blob and this misunderstood creature who come just happens to land uh you know on our rock who knows if it was destined for some other far away planet yeah um, it could have been okay poor uh, guy a poor guy really poor guy uh we're gonna need to create another list on our page uh, you know, for those Mis- who misunderstood our our yeah. site, we have all sorts of lists that we create. Misunderstood monsters and the people who destroy them. <laughs> oh, that's good. Misunderstood monsters <laughs> and the people, and I think that's the important part. And the people who destroyed them. That's a, absolutely. All right. Uh, okay, so let's talk about the uh, let's talk about your favorite uh, death in this film. 
Well, I think that it has to be. I mean, I think we just did. I think Olin Howland is the old man. I think his death, I think, is my favorite. Just the, you know, getting that great shot of his hand as <laughs> you lift up the blanket. It's just this giant. I mean, it looks like a hand made out of, of jello. You know, it looks like the sort <laughs> that your child would make squishing Play-Doh together. That's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> and, oh, just the howls of agony that he has and everything. I think he would absolutely be my favorite death. I, to me, it's the, it's the doc. And, but it's only because of the perspective, watching him get killed from outside, from Steve McQueen's perspective uh, against the window, I think it's uh, particularly gruesome. And and speaking to the effects, um, and, and to that scene in particular, that was a scene when Dr. Howland gets eaten that they actually had shot a lot more, um, or, or I should say longer shots of him as his entire body was basically enveloped by the blob and, and dissolved. The... Um, I guess you could say smartly. It's always funny. Do you say it smartly because now it works better, or do you say smartly because uh, they didn't really uh, have the time or money to make it look right at the time? Who knows? But you know, the producer Jack Harris and the director Irvin Yeworth decided that they would be better off showing a quicker shot and throughout the film showing less of the blob and kind of doing kind of what uh, Spielberg did with Jaws. You know, they, they had some issues trying to figure out exactly what they were going to do with the blob, so they didn't show too much of it. And because of that, it puts it, uh, you know, a lot more of the horror of it in your mind. And so you get just a very quick shot of the doctor being dissolved. And, I mean, just that quick shot is enough to, yeah, yeah it does make it pretty creepy. It it does, and I you know I think it's a vastly better for it, and and you see that payoff, uh, you know, when you watch the the blob, the nineteen fifty eight, next to the blob uh, remake, and when was it eighty eight? Eighty eight, yeah. Uh, you know, and and in eighty eight, you you really feel like they they go all the way with all of the sequences that, uh, you know, maybe Irvin Yeworth wanted to include in the original blob, but couldn't for some reason or another. Um, you know, we see the the we see the digestion of people as they are, yeah. you know, quite literally ripped apart and sucked down drains, and and uh, there it's just really. I mean, it's much more of a horror film and much less of a thriller. It's a very violent blob. Very violent. Blob. Like it can it can really latch onto something very quickly and yank it around and do stuff with it. Right, much- it has like tentacles. It, yeah, it can form, you know, arms and things. Yeah, it can do a lot of damage. That thing. This one, it really does. It uh, it is almost like it needs to just kind of get onto you, and then it just kind of yeah digests you. It's not gonna like you know stop, yeah. but it you know it doesn't move all that fast. No. People do a lot of running in this movie, and I find myself wondering kind of why from time to time because it's it doesn't move all that fast. <laughs> That's yeah, the good old horror, <laughs> you know. And then they fall in the groceries. Ah! Oh no, it's cans. <laughs> I've been thwarted. My escape is thwarted by cans and some chips. You never get up. Now. I will never it's stand. All over. <laughs> uh, okay, let's talk about the theme song. It's uh, it is the strangest song to accompany one of these movies, but. You know, they say that because this song was attached, it, that was a huge help to get it a bigger audience because the song is so flippin' catchy. This this young whippersnapper, Burt Bacharach, who I had had a bit of a career by this point, um, had uh, he, you know came up with 
this song along with his uh, what was it his his partner's brother or something right this would be uh, Mac David I mean. yeah right mm-hmm. um, they came up with this just really super catchy kind of Latin <laughs> jazzy little song uh, beware of the blob it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor right through the door all around the wall a splotch a blotch be careful of the Horribly addicting song. <laughs> Once you get it into your head, you can't stop singing. So, it is horrible. I mean, it's <laughs> you know, it's great. It's so catchy, but it is the it is quite possibly the the uh, the queen of all earworms. Yeah, uh, that you've ever said. It's it. But what I found really interesting about this is that this, um, you know, at the time, it there was a sense that. Uh, these horror kind of horror and teen films are, were always, uh, you know, kind of particularly these horror films were had some sort of a pop hit associated with it. And this one, uh, it was one of the first, as far as I understand, you know, after that, some years after that, we had Rocky Horror and Purple People Eater, but the blob and this Burt Bacharach song, the way these these two properties ended up fueling one another across media channels uh, ends up being, um, I would, you know, wager quite responsible, heavily responsible for much of the success of the film. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mean, this was a film, I think they were just hoping to get kind of the midnight film release, kind of like what they talk about in the film these midnight horror movies that kids would go to they were not your typical studio pictures that were coming out these were really kind of the independent films of the day that would get released through these small local distributors pump these films out into theaters for these late late shows for really just that the kids were drawn to and I think that's all they were really hoping for with this. And it really was just kind of a stroke of luck that Paramount latched onto it. They were desperately, they had this stinker of a film that they really didn't like at all. Uh, and I'm forgetting the name of it, but they, they didn't know what to do with it. Uh, it was I Married a Monster from Outer Space. Um, and then they saw The Blob and they're like, oh, that'd be great. That would be uh, a great one to release with this other movie. And so they sent out the double feature all across the country. Um, without realizing that they accidentally forgot the I Married a Monster from Outer Space half of the double feature in quite a few of the packages that they sent out. And so the blob ended up carrying like a single bill in a lot of its uh, release. And because of that, it got a lot more attention. It, It really garnered a lot more buzz and it drew in the crowds and the you know the song was taking off and so it just ended up making a lot of money oh movie people from the past you dummies <laughs> <laughs> that's too funny uh, <laughs> i i we need to find that guy <laughs> that's right that's right yeah, it's a supply chain episode that we're going to have to do it is uh, you got to wonder is that is that a, an instance where somebody gets fired for it yeah, right. Your mistake like, made one movie really popular. Yeah. <laughs> but the other one was never seen. Like he gets fired, but he doesn't get a cut of the profits from the movie. Exactly. That he, you know, exactly. Uh, ruin somebody's life. Ugh. 
Oh goodness. Well, okay. The last thing I think that's uh, that uh, particularly interesting is the uh, the the uh, uh, just a brief conversation about Irving Yeworth, uh, and and how he comes to to this film in particular, um, as a quote filmmaker. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's an interesting one. He really is. He, you know, Irvin Yeworth uh, is kind of came out of this world of Christian filmmaking, and he made a lot. I mean, a lot of films. I think before the Blob, he had already made a good hundred or so of these like motivational, educational, religious sorts of short films. And then, and I, I can't remember how he got connected to Jack Harris. Somehow they ended up getting connected. And Yeworth lived and worked in this area right around where they filmed The Blob. And I think all the way up uh, until his death, he was always living in this area. And his, uh, he, he ended up directing this film because he's just like, hey, you know, I, I, if, I, if I can't get these other films making, uh, doing any bigger uh, bigger box office or doing anything bigger with them. I may as well make a film. Sure. Why not? And so he went on to make this film and a couple other films with Harris, uh, 4d man and dinosaurus. I know your personal favorite, huge, huge. (laughs) And then he only did a couple other films and then he just went back to making these little kind of motivational religious films. And he did this all the way up until, you know, up until the, uh, time of his unfortunate, death when he uh, got uh, into a car accident uh, late in his life in 2003. um, But he had been going back and forth at that point in his life between here and and, uh, Israel and Jordan and really kind of doing a lot of these film centers where he would bring films in and show people these films and just kind of these religious films and try bringing people together and everything. And at the time of his death, he actually was in the works of building a theme park called the Jordanian Experience at the Aqaba Gateway. That was the name of the theme park. Man, where can I get tickets? It, I got to say, that is the strangest name for a theme park. That's, yeah. <laughs> the Jordanian experience at the Aqaba Gateway. I, I don't know. Don't I don't know. I, I don't know what the Jordanian experience is that they're trying to capture in a theme park, but I can't imagine it's very good. <laughs> it doesn't seem to fit a theme park. It's not like <laughs> it's not like Disney World, yeah, it's, you know it's the Jordanian experience at the Aqaba Gateway. I, yeah, I don't know. It's just I don't quite. I think uh, anytime you have it. someone's experience at a gateway, I mean, it's <laughs> not probably a good one. Yeah, it's a yeah. No, it's I. I wouldn't want to go to there. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, yes. uh, so that's what he was doing. That's what he's done. Yeah, that's that's, what he that's did. Yeworth. He worked yeah, for Billy I, Graham for a long time. Do you know, I think you he, I think he was another person who was uh, throughout his life. Uh, he was, uh, you know, always kind of uh, a little embarrassed by the fact that he was uh, stuck with the Blob as his big breakout, and because uh, I think he really, I mean, you know, he really seemed to be very keyed into this world of these religious projects, and so it is strange that. Uh, that the blob is probably what he's going to be remembered for by most people. I'm sure there's a good contingency who remember him for these other films, but yeah. 
I haven't seen any of them. So. <laughs> I've never met those people or seen those movies. Uh, okay. What, what else do you have on your list? Before, you know, before we rank this thing. Before we go into the ranking of it and everything. Um, the, the interesting thing about this is, you know, like I said, this was filmed in a small town uh, or several small towns up in the Pennsylvania uh, area around Phoenixville and stuff like that. There, uh, the people in that area have really latched onto the blob. And starting, I think, in 2002, they actually created the Blob Fest, where every year they would, you know, do movie screenings and they would reenact the, the, the running out of the movie theater. And the, the actual colonial movie theater has since been restored. And now they do these, uh, these double feature sci fi things. Uh, um, at this theater, and uh, they uh, like uh, things like the day the Earth stood still and Kaltiki the immortal monster. And they, say, <laughs> they play all these great things, and, and they actually have a website, uh, the Blob site. So I'll have to uh, we'll put that up in show notes so people can check it out. And if they are in the area up around the uh, around Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, they should swing by and check it all out. And if they happen to be there in it looks like middle of July, that's when they do the Blob Fest. Man, we should go. It would be fun. It do would a, be crazy fun. Yeah, we should do a live show. Yeah. Oh, fest. there you go. And Wes Shank, I didn't mention this, but Wes Shank, um, he wrote a book called From Silicone to the Silver Screen, Memoirs of the Blob. He wrote it back in uh, 2009, I guess. He, uh, the book's not available. It must have been just a real small printing. Uh, we can post the link in the show notes just so you can at least read about it and look at it and, uh, and you know, mark it on your eBay page for uh, when, when it pops up to buy. <laughs> but Wes, uh, I guess he actually bought the, the actual silicone blob from uh, Yeworth, and he keeps it in a big container. And I guess the, the silicone, and they had dyed it red, I guess the silicone doesn't hold the color, and the red kind of uh, sinks to the bottom. And so he gives people the chance when they uh, come by to do his little blob tour or whatever to actually stir the blob up and mix the <laughs> color back into it. Wow. <sighs> that the blob is not like a dried-out mess. I know. It's, it, it's, it's amazing. Still, it's still in this giant tub of his, so... You know, it brings up an interesting question. This film, this movie was filmed in color, right? right? At the time, it was you know there was not a lot of you know sort of a, a in transition. I mean, I I brought up the Tingler, and you know that was another film that was shot in black and white, and the you know with the exception of one scene, and that was a year later. So we're we're definitely in a in a transition. Uh, what do you think the effect of the what do you think color? Uh, what do you think the effect of color was on this film being as scary as it was to folks at the time? Well, you know, I, I wonder, you know, not quite getting to answer your question just yet, but I wonder if that is one reason that Paramount was more interested in it. I wonder if they actually would have been less interested if it was black and white. Um, you know, maybe it wouldn't have played as well in their right. adult I, Yeah, that's, that's my, my, certainly my supposition. Yeah, but, you know, I, I don't know if uh, if it drew people in more, but it certainly, I mean, man, I got to say, the colors in this film really pop. I mean, that Technicolor is just vibrant, the way that it just jumps off the screen at you. 
And I think seeing this, it's not just this black and white blob rolling around, but you actually get this kind of blood red blob rolling around and, and, and latching onto things. I, yeah, it is, it is a little more jarring, I think, in color. It, you know, it has that very, I've just absorbed a whole bunch of blood from all these people. And it just, it does make it feel a little more creepy. That is the that that's the point I was thinking too that that uh, uh, the the red of the blob uh, after it you, you know because I don't think in the the when he first sees the blob on the stick it's not a red blob it's not notably red blob no right but it becomes a notably red blob at the end and it's really nasty yeah it is pretty nasty yeah, it's pretty pretty gross uh, okay anything else on your list. Shall we do? Shall we talk budget first? Yeah, the uh, this film did really well for itself. I mean, like I was saying before, it was uh, it came out at a time when uh, they they it was is considered kind of an independent film. It wasn't something that the studios did. Uh, Jack Harris and you know his people ended up raising one hundred and ten thousand dollars to make this movie, and you know that's definitely not a lot of money. But it went on to uh, gross, I think, over four million dollars for Paramount. So it did really, really well for itself. And you know, one hundred and ten million in nineteen fifty-eight dollars equates to you know it was about an eight hundred and seventy-five thousand dollar budget. So it's even by today's standards, it's still a low budget film. And the four million that it made ended up coming, uh, being about thir- almost thirty-two million adjusted for today's dollars. So it's a very handsome profit. This is one of those films that really shows you can, if you if you find the right type of story to tell, and it really just latches on with people. I mean, you can make a lot of money with it. So, mm. you know, it, it's it's in in many ways, it just seems like such a precursor to you know paranormal activity and insidious and uh, what's uh, what's his name that guy who drives around in his van producing awesome really scary horror movies. Come on. Who drives around in his van? Yeah, haven't you heard this was a great episode of uh uh the Casey whatever it is, uh, the screen business podcast. Come on. Are you serious? Oh, is it is it James Wan? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. okay. So he tells his great story about how he, he got tired of driving around Los Angeles to meetings, so he converted a, his Astro Chevy Astro van into a office and he's got his computer the van is wired for all cell all the time and he can look at dailies and just drive from shoot to shoot doing whatever he wants to do wow not a big fan of of those movies myself haven't seen very many of them so you know I'm you know me in horror mm-hmm. generally but Apparently, but you know, when I think of kind of what this movie sets off, you know, when you look at these low budget films that really connects with people, uh, you see these little blips over time of these batches of films that do the same thing. And I think we're kind of in the middle of that, yeah. uh, you know, that you see with Saw and and um, these other films. I don't know. It, you're yeah, you're it, more of a connoisseur than I am. <laughs> I do like those films quite a bit. It is an interesting comparison, and it is interesting, you know, that this did come out of that independent uh, circle, that whole different world outside of the studio system that the studio system latched onto, and you know, I mean, they 
ended up remaking it, making a sequel, which we haven't talked about. You know, Beware of the Blob or the Son of the Blob or, or all those different names that it ended up having. So, right, right. Yeah, it's, it is kind of an interesting uh, look back at that, though. So, yes, indeed. Well, I'll tell you, you know, like I said, I've watched this movie a number of times now and I feel like I've grown to appreciate it. Uh, I don't know how it's going to stack up for me, if it's going to stack up any better as a result (laughs) in our rankings, Uh, but I definitely appreciate the film and I think it's worth watching. uh, and, uh, you know, you brought up that, that, the kind of, uh, epilogue, uh, as the blob is being dropped into the Arctic. And, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, that, that sort of prophetic last line, right? Right. Uh, uh as long as the Arctic stays cold, huh? <laughs> uh, that's a, that's a right. tough one to swallow. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got the big question mark. That's right. You, you, that's you right. love it. You gotta love it. Let's uh let are we ready to rank? Can we rank? Uh, yeah, we're ready. Let's yeah. do it. You can find us at uh, uh flickchart.com slash the next reel. That's where you'll find all of our rankings for all of our films. And uh, you can always head over to our website now. There's a link under the extras uh, uh menu there where you can find a direct link to the top one hundred gold list. So we'll see if this uh if the blob cracks the, the top one hundred today. We shall see. All right. The blob or thank you for smoking. Thank you for smoking. Yeah, got to go with thank you for smoking. The Blob or Clute? All right, still Clute. I, yeah, I go Clute. Yeah. The Blob or the Wolverine? Oh, this is going to be a hard one for you, I think. It is, because I really didn't like the Wolverine <laughs> at all. <laughs> oh, I, I, I take that back. I mean, I really enjoy the Blob. There's something about it that is... Um, very uh, fun to watch in that in that I'm enjoying a dated film sort of way, and I and I can appreciate it. The Wolverine, I enjoyed the film up until uh, after the assassination at the at the funeral or assassination attempt or kidnapping, I believe is what it was, when he has to go rescue her on the bullet train and all that. Up until that point, I enjoyed the film. And then from that point on, it completely fell apart. So I've, I'll say I'll go with the Wolverine because I thought they really had something good up to that point. So you're going to give it to the Wolverine mostly because I, of the I, bullet yeah. train scene? Really no, mostly because of the beginning. Because right. everything, I mean, I like the bullet train scene quite a bit. but And that's one of them. But all the way up through that point, I thought they had something that they ruined. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to go with the Wolverine, but for other reasons than than <laughs> what you say <laughs> okay no i you know i just felt like there was more uh, there was there it, there was uh, a lot going on with the wolverine and that again it's not yet dated so i'm gonna stick with that okay the blob or the fifth element fifth element pretty uh, colors yeah you know i oh, i just hate the fifth element so i know, much. I, I, know. Hate that film. So I told, i'll go i'll totally go with the blob on this one man are you serious Oh, totally. I just don't like the fifth element. Ah, oh, man, when she get when Lilu gets rebuilt by that there's, resequencing there's machine, please. I'm yeah. all in. Uh, Wearing that seatbelt uniform. Uh, there's just nothing about that film that I like. Yeah, I'll give it to you though because I feel like I've given in. It's the g- uh, you've given oh. in to me more often. Well, that's probably true because I'm a giver. You are a giver. All right. So I'll give it to you even though I. <laughs> 
What's next? I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to it with spite. Take that. <laughs> I'll take it, it with spite. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here's an interesting one. The blob or now you see me. I, I'll go with the blob over now you see me. I would me. actually <laughs> go with the blob over now you see me. Really didn't like that movie at all. <laughs> The Blob or Marty? Oh, looking at a couple of 50s films. There we go. I'm going to go with The Blob on this one. I think I will, too. I mean, I do enjoy Marty. Uh, I know you didn't enjoy the real, real slow pace, real simple, simple, simple story of it. But um, The Blob has monster in it. Right. <laughs> so, what else do you really need? <laughs> uh, um, all right. The Blob or Strange Days. Criminy. You know, if it was The Blob or the Strange Days trailer or the teaser trailer, I'd probably go with Strange Days (laughs) teaser trailer. But since I have to take the whole film into account, I'm going with The Blob. Yeah, I'm going to go with The Blob too. All right, 106. So it didn't didn't crack our top 100. Crack the top 100. Wow. Yeah, I don't even know what to say about that. But there are some actually there are some good there are some better movies ahead of it. That's all we have to remember. There are definitely good movies ahead of it. Absolutely. All right. All right. Um, uh, So where are we going from here? Are we talking about where we're going from here? Yeah, I think we should. Even with your guess, the movie thing, we're gonna we're gonna give it up. Well, like I said, I'm not always I'm not always gonna be doing. Images from the movies that we're talking about. That's that's like, true. I've, you know, I, I'm, I, this week is not one we're going to be talking about. This is just you being cheeky. I am being cheeky. Yeah, that's right. Okay. All right. Cheeky so, little monkey. So we're we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so we're doing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> cheeky little monkey, indeed. <laughs> Uh, we're doing, uh, this is our, our October, uh, horror alternative, right? Yeah. I think, I think we decided to, you know, that's why change we did up a yeah, little bit. That's why we did the blob now, kind of get it out of the way and we're changing it up for October. We're doing romantic comedies. Yeah. I'm quite excited. I, we, I think we ended up, uh, with a we good t- list. Well, we got to talk about why. Right. Uh, yeah, we have to exactly. And if you look at our our top 100 list, I you know you don't find a whole lot of romantic comedies on there. I would be a, it would be a stretch. Jaws, Alien, Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, Hurt Locker. <laughs> Maybe Eternal Sunshine. You could. It's not f- all that funny, but you know, romantic. It's a yeah. stretch. Yeah. I'm in it. I'm going all the way. I'm at 22. Oh, when Harry met Sally, 28. Oh, yeah. When you. Harry met Sally. Uh, but you you'll find that that is uh, they're few and far between. True romance. That was a cute one. <laughs> uh, few and far between. And we were. Who was it? Was it your uh, lovely wife who said yes. that we we you know we, stop we, that? She said. I think offer some other options. <laughs> yes. And so here we did that. We have, I think we have a good list. It's a list that we then made ourselves, and then we talked to our spouses about it. And our spouses said, "You're so wrong about the movies that you chose. Let us do it." And so we kept some that we chose, but mostly it's uh, our spouses who, you know, are, uh, I, I think, arguably even more excited about romantic comedies than we are, have actually defined 
much of this list, right? I mean, that's is that fair assessment? Yeah, and I mean, even if it was one that we had previously picked, they still vetted they it. They vetted it. That was it. important. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, and so we're very excited. I'm I'm excited to take on uh, this this next batch of films. I and and I think we have some good ones. So, Absolutely, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So here's the ne- here's to the next month. We're gonna bring bring the love, love and funnies, love and funnies. Yeah. Good talk, Andrew. Likewise, senor. Arrivederci. Ciao. Vaya con huevos. Go with eggs? I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.